So, so as I was saying, but will not repeat, I was at the aging, teaching the aging, dying, and awakening retreat. And um, actually, it was, um, it had a number of themes, and I'll talk a little bit about the retreat, because I always, uh, I so appreciate the fact that we have the opportunity to go on retreat that we have the opportunity to practice in this kind of profound way of in silence and um, for a period of time in a place, Spirit Rock, which is totally set up to support people practicing and waking up. And how many people have never been to Spirit Rock? Let me see. Raise your hands, yeah. Okay. How many people have never done a, 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 a multi-day silent retreat? Let me see. Okay. Great. Yeah. And so there's um, an opportunity available, if you're interested, to see what, is, what did the Buddha teach and what are some of the means that he taught for realizing what he was pointing at. And, um, and retreat is one of the skillful means that the Buddha said, oh, go do this, go check this out, see what happens if you sit for, you know, a day, a week, a month, three months, a year, see what happens, see where, see where consciousness can go, see what can let go and free up as we get to, get to know ourselves more intimately than we're used to in the conventional world. And so, um, I, I was writing down tonight before I came, I wrote, oh, there's a bunch of themes that I wrote, and, and the, I'll start with, at the end of the retreat, you know, we do a little going home talk, because people have been basically in silence for a week. and. Um, and what was most interesting for me, because I'm in this somewhat privileged role of being a teacher, and by privileged I mean we have the great privilege of sitting there while people wake up, including myself, of course, but also, and so one of the privileges or, or beauties of, of being in the role that I'm in is I was sitting there this morning and I'm supposed to talk about going home, but really, all I start to see is the luminosity of the people who are sitting, right? The, the luminous quality, the beauty of each person is just shining. And it's not shining because they're doing anything. It's shining because who they are is being revealed, is showing itself. And so it was just, and I said that to them, I told people, because um, it was so, they just look so radiant. And of course, people don't necessarily look radiant the day they get to Spirit Rock for the retreat. They look tired or they've been working hard or they're stressed out and then slowly all they're doing, they're doing, if you go on retreat, you're doing a very simple thing, which is basically nothing. And we're not used to doing nothing. And by nothing, I mean all we're doing is sitting, walking, eating, going to the bathroom, doing a little bit of talking, you know, meeting with the teacher. And in this retreat, we do an hour of inquiry every day. 
and which is verbal, and then that's it. That's that's the whole day. And it's we're so unused to the simplicity of reality. And so what the Dharma does, what the Dharma is offering is just simply being. And it's the being part of the human being that we're highlighting. What is it just to be? What, what is it even that's here right now that's listening to me, right? And I know it's you, whoever you are, whatever your name is and all, but what is consciousness? You know, what actually hears, what actually sees, what actually feels? And, and I'm not asking for an answer. I'm asking, which is, and this is what we do on the long retreats, is we're looking for the experiential reality to be more well-known, to more, be more directly known, to be more, and the word that I like, intimately known. And it's a, it's a little bit about being very intimate with oneself, seeing who, who are we really? And not just who, what are we really? Right? Even though we know we're humans, or you know, over here it's, it, this human is called Eugene, right? And, and I usually answer to that name, that's a good, good name for Eugene, is Eugene. But, um, but there's, that's not the end of the story of what's here. That's just the surface or the, the, the conventional understanding. And then there's other potential for us to understand or to wake up to. And the Buddha has a, a great a quote I like very much. He said, if I can find it, Maybe I didn't put it in here. Oh. oh, here it is. This committed life, this committed life, and of course, he, at that time, he was probably talking to the monastic community, to the nuns and the monks who were living with him and practicing with him. He said, this committed life is lived for the sake of seeing into things and understanding them. Like that's all he was doing, was looking, starting to um, uh, turn his attention, awareness, and asking everybody around him to start to look very deeply at what is this? What is this that's having this experience? and start to understand what's here and what's possible for us as human beings. And so one of the themes that was woven throughout the retreat, right, aging, dying, awakening, was about impermanence, that things are impermanent. Nothing is permanent. There's no permanence anywhere that one can find. And please look and see for yourself if you can find anything that's permanent. Uh, but there's a beautiful chant that we were also using at the retreat a little. It goes in the Pali, it's Anicca Vata Sankara Upadava Yadamano Upakitu Nirochanti Te Sang Upasamo Sukho 
and the English is all conditioned things are impermanent. All conditioned things are impermanent. Their nature is to rise and pass away. All conditioned things are impermanent. Their nature is to rise and pass away. To live in harmony with this truth brings the highest happiness. To live in harmony with this truth of arising and passing, of here and then gone. To live in, even, and even just look even tonight, because it's going to happen tonight. What, what's pointed to at this, in this little chant is happening right now, right? Like, you know, you came to San Francisco inside a Sunday night, you're going to check it out, or you've been here before and you wanted to come, and it's happening. It, it's arisen, and it's going to pass away. Even by the time we end, it'll be gone. <laughs> that, that was... That was a very um, something way of saying it, <laughs> a very uh, Detroit Zen way of th saying it. Uh, and, but it's just true. It's like each moment is arising and passing. Each sensation arises and passes and may arise again very quickly and they can start to feel continuous, but actually there's just a moment like that's, that's all there is, is a moment, and then a moment, and a moment. And the moment has its beginning, it's arising, and has its ending. Rising, ending, rising, ending. And start, starting to come into, into harmony with this truth frees something for all of us. That the beingness of who and what we are starts to be known more directly not just the conditioned reality, not just the conditioned conventional reality, not just the con conditioned usual sense of self, but actually the liveness that each of us is, right? Everybody get that they're actually alive? Anybody not alive here? Right? Everybody's alive. So everybody is a aliveness itself is what's sitting in each seat. And you can feel it because you're alive and, and the aliveness is here. And it's here in sight, sound, taste, touch, smells, thoughts, feelings. It's just happening mostly on its own, which is part of the great paradox and the magic of life. We tend to think we're doing it. We have our little bit of input, but you know, you know, the easiest way to look at that is stop your mind right now. Can anybody do that? <coughs> Can anybody stop their mind? No? So what does that tell us? That gives us some information. These are the kind of things that Buddha was interested in understanding. What is that? What's here if we're not doing it? If it's doing itself? <clears throat> so, so it was 
lovely to be on retreat with people and to watch people deepen in practice and start to wake up in practice and see their luminosity which you know even I I don't I didn't expect to see that this morning I just you know was sitting up there and I look and it's like wow look at these people and see now that I'm talking about it oh you, you all are starting to get a little luminous too <laughs> really maybe it's just my eyes are luminous right now but no it's true it's because of course it's right here where, where else where else would it be? In fact, it's one of the things I've said on retreat, and I'm sure I've said it here. The whole Dharma is sitting right here. The whole Dharma. What, and you know, we have a lot of Buddhist books in, in um, Spirit Rock. The, the Pali Canon, the ancient texts, they're like, I can't remember, it's 28 or 40 books. And they're not, they're not thin books, they're big books. And, uh, and uh, you know, but the whole that what those books are pointing at is sitting right here. You know, this is it. This is where the Dharma is. This is where the Buddha is. This is where reality is. This is where waking up is. Is right right here. It's what's looking at me. Is a nice quote that I like. I think I brought it. Let's see if I did. Uh, this is uh, from uh, a Christian Buddhist named St. Francis of Assisi who said, what, what you are looking for, what you are looking for is what is looking. What you are looking for is what is looking. That's great Buddhist teaching. As whatever tradition St. Francis may happen to be part of, that's that's good dharma, as far as I'm concerned. So one of the themes that came up, given we're doing age and dying and awakening. So one, one thing I should say, it's, and Anna's been very, Anna Douglas, has been very involved with the elders community, whatever that is. And she's defining it as people 55 and older. Okay, 55 and older. So if you're 55 and older, you're an elder now. And if you're not, you're just a young person. Um, uh, but one of the things I always find interesting teaching this retreat with her is how supportive it is for people to be around people um, who, are, who are dealing with similar times or um, issues of life, right? So in Spirit Rock, we have uh, family retreats, right? And it's all families. Or we have teen retreats, and it's all teenagers. Or we have young young people retreat, and it's people in their late teens, early twenties, maybe. And then we have retreats that are um, women's retreats, right? So you get a similar culture at the retreat. Here it's elders, or it could be a woman's retreat, or a men's retreat, or a person of color retreat, or a, or a alphabet retreat, meaning, you know, um, gay, uh, lesbian, um, bisexual, transgendered, uh, queer people. And so, and so you give people where there's a certain kind of safety 
or support, I'm not even sure what, when people are around the similar community that they recognize the community and they recognize themselves as part of that community. And so it's supportive for people's practice. And, um, and so this was, in this sense, the elders was one of the cultural pieces. And then the other piece was, well, there were a number of pieces, but definitely impermanence was one of the themes that people felt. And then there was, somehow this came up, somebody else said this from the audience uh, during the questions and comments portion, um, talked about, because um, um, we were doing a little bit of inquiry every day, and they were saying, oh, how Rilke, the German poet, author, wrote about loving the questions, loving the questions. And I, I've read some Rilke and I remember it, so I looked up the quote, and the quote is, and he's talking about life, and all the questions we might have about life, and how to, how to grow up, and how to be a person, and how to mature, and how to live our life in a fulfilling way, and how to, how to participate in the world in a meaningful way. And so it brings a lot of questions for all of us, and, and we all may have different versions of these kind of questions. And Rilke said, be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart. Be patient with all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Beautiful, beautiful, again, my mind, beautiful Buddhist teaching, um, even though he wasn't a Buddhist. Um, be patient with all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Um, and, and just to, as a Buddhist uh, uh, add-on here, uh, patience is one of the perfections of a Buddha. And it's often undervalued in our culture, patience. Because we're in like, you know, we all want everything immediately and quick and today, you know, and now. And, and that's how everything is sold, is you can have everything you want immediately if you pay enough. Or if you buy the right thing, you'll be happy immediately instead of being patient. So I love that he's got patience in there. And he goes on to say, do not seek the answers. Do not seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. The point is, live everything. Live everything. Live the questions now. That's, that's a great understanding. Live the questions now. Perhaps then you will gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day, live along some distant day into the answers. So one lives the questions and one lives into the answers. One doesn't just figure it out mentally. What, 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 <laughs> I can't talk, I'm tired from that retreat. Uh, what, what that might mean is one lives with the question until one lives into the answer. One doesn't get the answer by figuring out, but by living our with our hearts and minds open and curious and interested 
in discovering what is the truth. <clears throat> and, you know, the, the retreat was also about death. And so one of the people who got mentioned on the retreat was this woman, Pauletta Chanko Lowery. And Pauletta was in a training that I'd just finished teaching, the community Dharma leaders training. And she was in it for two years and she had gotten cancer and was dying. And we knew she was dying and it was part of, it was just the reality. And so, and she was part of the group and, and did the whole training and, uh, and uh, had started a sitting group because the community <laughs> Dharma leaders is training people from around the country to um, teach the Dharma in their communities. And she had a small sitting group in her community and they knew she was dying now. And, um, and, um, and somebody told me about her last Dharma talk, which she gave and she had people come to her house. In, it was in the last week of her life. She gave her last Dharma talk. And it was about impermanence, mm -hmm. right? And letting go. And, and the, you know, it's just beautiful that she would do that because the paradox about dying is, you know, it can be quite tragic especially when people are young or it's sudden or unexpected. But it's also just normal, right? Everything that's born dies. That's just, that's, that's the way it works. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's how nature works. And we are just part of nature. And it's beautiful that we're here. It's totally magical that we're here. We can talk and think and feel and like and dislike and everything. And, and that's great. And, and then whatever this is in this form, right? Like the Eugene is not gonna be here someday, right? Not like this. And that's not a bad thing. It may be a sad thing some, for some people, but we'll see, you know. Um, some people could be happy that Eugene is in here. I mean, that happens too, but, you know, we all understand, you know, some people we don't like so much. But, um, but, but, um, uh, so she was talked about, and a friend of mine sent me a note who'd been her mentor in the community Dharma Leaders, and she said, I had a very lucid conversation with her last Monday sitting on her bed. So last Monday was a few days before she died, right? And she was ready to leave her body because it, at that point it was just painful to be alive. And she was at peace. She had her entire family around her for a few weeks, loving her and taking care of her needs. And it was mostly a beautiful way to go. And she was ready to go because it was time to go. When the body is not working so well at that level, one doesn't want to necessarily stay around. And I remember my father when he was, uh, my mother died at, I don't know, 70 something, you know, kind of a good, good age to stay alive till, and, and then, you know, you die. But my dad lived till 91, and he had had it. 
he used to complain. He'd say, when am I going to get out of here? <laughs> and, and he even asked me once or twice, he said, can you help me with this? And I, I'm not that liberated. I couldn't do that. I couldn't say, yeah, I'll help you die. No. But, um, I, you know, uh, I just remember at the end, he just was like, I'm happy to go. And that's, that's not a bad thing. That's normal at a certain point. It's, you know, life has its trajectory. And it, we're born and we live, and at a certain point we die. And the thing that I like the most really about teaching around death is normalizing it. It's just normal. It's not wrong, bad. Sometimes it's tragic, no doubt about it. And we will, we miss, I miss people. I wish my dad was alive still, you know, sure. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad. And this happened to me when I was with his dead body, because I was there when he was dying. Um, and after he died, and then, you know, with his body, and it was like, I realized I've been holding an idea of him for a long time that he was an old man because he'd been kind of old for a while, right, 91. And, and, um, and, and when he died, I felt so happy he wasn't an old man anymore. And then I realized, oh, I've been holding this idea of him that he was an old man. And then, I, and then the whole life of him that I knew for some you know, 50 years or something, I could remember him as all these different times of his life and how different he was at different times. And so it was, it was quite lovely to let go of him as an old man and see, oh, that's not who he was. That's just who he was at a certain time in his life. That wasn't the permanent of him, because there was no permanence of him. So, and of course, when we're talking about things like this, it's paradoxical, meaning the mind thinks, the mind has a lot of ideas about how things are, and then reality in that way. And the Dharma is often paradoxical, it goes, uh, it goes, as the Buddha said, he said the Dharma goes against the stream of conventional reality. It goes against the stream of conventional understanding. And so one of my favorite quotes from uh, one of my teachers, Ryokan, he said, the Buddha is your mind. The Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. The Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you arrive? Right? And you hear the paradox in what he's saying. The Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but what's sitting right here in your seat. This is where all the goodies of the Dharma are right here. This is it. It's, it's a better deal than you, we even know, right? 
because we usually have a lot of ideas about ourselves, a lot of judgments, we're this, we're that, we're not this, we're not that, we should be this, we should be that. And you know, those all have their conventional um, suffering, <laughs> mostly difficulty. But what's actually here is so much wilder than that. Really, the Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. What is your mind? And remember, in, when they use the word mind in Buddhism, they're not just talking about conceptual reality. Not just your thinking. Your mind, it includes heart. Same word chitta in, in Sanskrit uh, uh, mean, means heart and mind. And in, in Asia, people would often, when they were thinking, they would point here. They would say, oh, I was thinking. They didn't go, I was thinking. They point at their heart because it was one thing. It wasn't separated as it has been in the so-called progressive world, you know, in the West, where now the mind is up here and the heart's down there and the this is over there and the that's over there. No, it's all right here. All of consciousness is right here. And again, this is personally, as far as I can tell, it's all wild. It's just a wild deal to be alive. You know, another word that I've used a lot lately is magical. It's magical to be alive, right? And who knows, maybe it'll be magical to die. I don't have an idea about what's going to happen at death, but I'm curious about it. And let's see, because we all will see. And it, it's one reason why it's great to practice, because it, it, it supports our awareness and being present with what is, not with what we think, or what we want, or what we don't want, but with what is. With um, what's, in Buddhism they use the phrase, you want to be with things as they are. Things as they are. And that, you know, and that's what we want. Let's see what happens when we, when, I shouldn't even say we, when the body dies, Let's see what happens. Does consciousness die? Or, or not? I don't know. Let's see. I mean, even if I knew, I wouldn't tell you. Because you'll find out soon enough. And so practice is supported to be very simple. And that's what we did on the retreat. Very simple. Be with your body, heart, and mind, and be aware of what happens as you stay with your body, heart, and mind. What's here now? And even now, just be aware of what's here right now. Your thoughts, feelings, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, reactions, ideas, beliefs, without having to identify with them. It's all just happening very quickly, even if it's slow. But the Buddha really encouraged a little bit the, the simplicity of it, not the complexity of what's here. So he did a teaching, training that I love to Bahia. And Bahia is, uh, in the text, he's a, um, a wandering ascetic who's who wants to wake up, who's looking for freedom. And his name is Bahia of the Bark Cloth. And the Bark Cloth describes the kind of gear he wore. 
right, which you can get now at Macy's. You can get bark cloth uh, if you ask for some Bahia gear. <laughs> you know, it might not be so acceptable in this day and age to walk around in your bark cloth. But um, uh, I always liked his name, so I always joke about it. So Bahia um, wanted, he, he was practicing on his own, and he asked the gods, the devas, the he people in the heavenly realms, he asked, well, am I doing the right practice? And one deva comes down and says, no, you're not. You're not doing the right practice, and you won't, you won't find freedom in the way you're practicing. And he's a little shocked, and he says, well, what should I do? And, and the, the god says that, oh, there is somebody who's awake, and he's over, you know, 100 miles away, and you could go see him, the Buddha. And Bahia, who's very dedicated, he decides to go immediately to find this person to wake up. And of course, this is all in mythological time. So overnight, he goes, which is a quick walk in India, uh, you know, a few a hundred miles, and he gets to where the Buddha is the next morning. And the Buddha and the and the monastics are doing their thing, and and um, and he he's asking for the Buddha, and he's directed to where to go to find the Buddha. And he finds the Buddha and he says, please, you know, venerable, um, teach, me, teach me the Dharma. Teach, I, I want to wake up. I want to understand reality. And the Buddha said, oh, it's not a good time. You know, ask me later. And Bahia is a little um, passionate. And he says, no, 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 excuse me, sir. No, I, I want to know. Please give me the teaching right now so I may wake up. And the Buddha, see, is walking around with his, his bowl for food, right? It's time for the Buddha to eat. He doesn't want to miss lunch, right? It's one meal a day in, in his sangha. And so he's walking around and he's like, he said to Bahia twice now, wait, I have, I'm busy now. I'm going for, for alms round. And, and Bahia trumps the Buddha. That's what I love about Bahia. He trumps the Buddha and he said, well, venerable sir, he said, we don't know if you're gonna be alive or if I'm gonna be alive in a little while, so please give me the teachings now. So he trumps the Buddha with impermanence. And so the Buddha says, okay. And he stops and he gives him a very quick teaching because he still wants to get his, you know, to McDonald's and get his food. And uh, he says this to Bahia. He said, Bahia, you should train yourself thus. In the scene will be merely what is seen. And you can do this while I'm saying it. In the scene is merely what is seen. In the heard is merely what is heard. In the sensed is merely what is sensed. And in the cognized is merely what is cognized. In this way, you should train yourself, Bahia. Right? So you get it. He's giving him a very, very simple, direct teaching. In the seeing is just seeing. There's no add-on. In the hearing is just hearing. There's no add-on. In what's sensed is just what's sensed. No add-on. In the thoughts, there's just thought. But there's no add-on. 
And then he says, when Bahia in the scene will be merely what is seen, heard, merely what is heard, sensed, merely what is sensed, cognized, merely what is cognized, then Bahia, you will not be with that. When Bahia, you are not with that. Then Bahia, you are not in that. When Bahia, you are not in that. Then Bahia, you will be neither here nor there nor in between the two. Just this is the end of suffering. Just this is the end of suffering. So he gives them a very simple, very direct teaching pointing at, the, at freedom from suffering. And then he goes to get his food. And Bahia, it's, it's an odd story, I had to write this part down, I forgot. Yeah, Bahia, uh, he's totally, he gets, he actually gets it very quickly. And he walks away and he gets killed by a cow. Now, I don't know what that means, but that's what's, I'm just giving you what's in the story. You know, it's a different time and place and they had different writers of the stories and so that's what happened. But then, but then, and so he ends up in a Buddhist heaven. He ends up awake in a Buddhist heaven, in a, I believe, uh, the Tushita heaven, Tushita heaven. And he, and then the Buddha has a communication with him while he's in the heaven. And he gets that he, he was freed. And he, the Buddha's really happy. And he tells his, his followers a little about what happened to Bahia. He said, and there is something in the story where he tells his father, oh yeah, Bahia got it, he listened to me. <laughs> and it was like a little, Buddha was giving a little guilt trip, in my opinion here, uh, to his followers, like, oh, you should all listen to me a little more and maybe you would get it too. Actually, I don't know if he was saying that, but something, it was interesting. I always thought that was funny that that was in there. So, I'll end here with a little quote that I used on the retreat that I love that's related to what it is to wake up, right? So aging, dying, awakening. This is from Kalu Rinpoche, who was uh, just one of the great Zen masters in our relative era. I don't know how long ago he died, um, 20 or 30 years ago, I believe, not longer. And I have a very good friend who studied with him, who did a three-year, three-month, three-day retreat with him, where she lived with him. And, and she's quite awake, this woman, beautiful. And, she, and Kalu Rinpoche said, he said, we live, we live in illusion, we live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. We live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you discover this, you will see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. We live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you discover this, you will see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. Great, great teaching. So, um, 
I'm going to stop here. We have a few minutes for any questions, comments, reactions, liking, not liking, anything about the talk. Don't be shy or don't be too shy that you don't get up and, and ask a question or say something. And, and you don't have to agree with what I said or it's just always interesting to hear how does it land and what can we all, all meaning including me, keep learning by talking about it. Please. <clears throat> I'm still Larry, and I'm still... He's still here. I'm going to be here forever. <laughs> right, that's right. Um, this might seem wacky, but... Um, from I was you? Thinking, yeah, oh, from right. me. I was thinking of the people who, who, you know, you ask who comes for the first time, and I'm thinking if I came for the first time and I heard you talking about gods and angels and things, I would think this Buddhism is as wacky as the religion that I grew up with that I didn't like, and I'd run away and never come back. <laughs> Well, good. I'm glad it's not yeah. your first time. Yeah. Uh, so I'm feeling a little paranoid for the people who are here. Well, uh, I appreciate your goodwill for them, really, your, your kindness for them. And, and I assume all these people are adults and they can take care of themselves. And if they think it's wacky, they can tell me, what is this wacky shit that you're talking about? God, I hate God, or I love God, or it's not my God. But, and... and I, it makes sense what you're saying. I understand that also. And of course, there's only so much time to give context to what it means, a, a god or a, somebody, because it's a different culture and a different time and place. And so those were realities of that time and place where you could call on a god and, and the god would come down. In our time and place, we might we might uh, tune into our intuition and we might hear something and understand something. We'd say, oh yeah, I got an intuition. Because that's the way it's talked about in our time and place. So maybe that helps for if anybody's too offended by the word God or Deva or Buddha or heaven or any of that. Okay, thank you, good. Please. And please say your name when you, you start so we all get to know each other a little more. And yeah. um, I'm Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Hi. Um, I, I don't know, I can't believe I'm, I had the nerve to say this, but when I'm, you were talking about, um, you know, oh, when you get to a certain age, you just start to um, accept and that you'll be gone soon. And. I took a little offense to that okay. because I'm not quite 50 yet, but I'm not that far, uh -huh. so I'm almost to your elders group. And but <laughs> why is it, why do you have to wait to feel at peace with that? I think oh, you, you, I, you, don't. you don't. No, no, so not at all. So that's why I just <coughs> invite to, to not say, oh, when you get to a certain I age. I see. Okay. Okay. No. Great. Yeah. Good. Good. So here's what I meant. I meant it's often more common right. when, as people age, because something happens, the body changes, energy changes a little, and so sometimes that supports people letting go. But you don't have to wait. You're absolutely right. No, I'm, I'm glad you said that, and so we've got that in the room. 
because, uh, and I, w I would always make sure to say that again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think you can start to feel at peace with, because uh, you do, I mean, I guess senescence biologically starts at a certain time where you're no longer growing. Uh -huh. and you start going the other direction. But I think you can feel at a spiritual peace uh -huh. and let go of what this amazing thing of life is at any time without fear. A absolutely. Absolutely. And even, yeah, and you can let go of life at any time. And some people let go very young, and it's, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. great. Thank Th thanks for standing up and saying that. I appreciate it. Good. Hi. Hi. I'm Melanie. Hi, Melanie. Hi. Um, I appreciated what you said. You said it a few times about how death um, isn't wrong or dying isn't wrong. <laughs> and I think I've like recently been tapping into my fear around death. Is that like not necessarily of dying, but that like it's going to be my fault in some way, like something I could have like like planned better for or known better uh -huh. and that there's like this inherent blame that that maybe people's dying is their fault on some level. Yeah, boy, isn't that not true? <laughs> I mean, great. Show me who's gotten out of it. <laughs> right? Who, who's somebody who, you know, because they did it right, they didn't die. It just doesn't happen. Now we can, of course, we can take care of our bodies and take care of our lives in skillful ways that maybe we'll live longer for sure. And that's great. Great if one does that and can do that and has the resources and the help and, and the orientation to do that. But it's definitely not anybody's fault if we die. Dying happens. And it's, it, let's put it this way, is it our fault we were born? Right? Well, how did that happen? Right? Did we do that? So why do we think we're responsible for one but not responsible for even getting here? So I don't, I don't, yeah, so I appreciate you saying that. I don't have that feeling at all, like, you know, I mean, I'm happy to stick around, and you know I've had my own near-death experience, so I know a little bit about death. But you know, and even that it, it wasn't my fault. I had a bike accident. I'd ridden a bike for years and years and years, and never had a bike accident. You know, and then after the second bike accident, I slowed down a little. <laughs> 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 you know, okay, okay, now I'm getting the message. But you know. It's still, but even still, I feel like, you know, I love to ride the bike. If, if I would have died on the bike, that's not a bad way to go, because that was something I loved. And I'm glad it, I didn't die then and all that, but, you know, I, I can assure you, I'm gonna die some way, right? And it might be from doing something I really love that everybody says, don't do it. Sorry. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. 
please, Kitty. I just wanted to thank you so much for bringing Pauletta into the room. Mm -hmm. um, she actually had um, arranged a pretty incredible gift, which was that she wanted her body to just be at home in her bed for three days before they came. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Cre cremation. So, uh, Great. Yeah, a lot of us were there on that third day, and the family had cleared out, and the people that she had been teaching and uh, other Dharma friends just came to chant and be with her. A couple family members there. Um, you know, and I've been blessed to be at some very green funerals and go through some of the gnarly <laughs> stuff uh, that comes with that. But it was so not scary at all. She just was in her bed where she had been a week before and uh, talking. And um, she looked downright happy. Uh -huh. like she did not have an easy last week getting out of this world. It was hard, but she looked really happy. Mm -hmm. And you know, I just said she wanted <coughs> to have flowers all over her, and people had petals they could kind of bring in from a bowl and spread them around. So um, it just seemed like such an extraordinary teaching for all of us, but especially for the people she had been teaching, that they could come and be with her the third day after she died. Yeah was uh, extraordinary and so not weird or gross or frightening or any of the things, you know? Like suddenly when I decided to go over, like suddenly it's like, oh, I'm hungry, I didn't bring any water, the bar ride's too long, the, the, you know, like I just had so many things. It's like, oh no, this is just me, like having some dread, you know? Yeah, yeah, anyway. sure. So it was just another beautiful piece of it that I wanted to Great. bring into the room along with. Thank you. Said, yeah. Yeah. And just for people to know, generally, it's not totally legal to leave a body for three days, right? No, they want, they want a body gone within 24 hours, generally, is my understanding. When I was in hospice, that, that we would have to sneak uh, somebody to not be taken away. In other words, we wouldn't tell people we'd wait to tell so the so that family or friends could be with the body for a couple days because that's rare in this culture other cultures it's more common and, and uh, acceptable and uh, it is something to watch because you see the body keep changing and that I, I always found that so fast oh it doesn't it doesn't stop changing because it died it's changing, even and dying, it just keeps changing the body. And, you know, and also there's something about the presence of the spirit of the person, and who knows what that is. But, so I'm glad, I'm glad you got the opportunity to be there and that she made that happen. Beautiful. Great, thank you. Okay, so. I guess that's a good place to end.